with all this external pressure and everyone worried about the future and everyone thinking about, is persecution coming for Christians? And, and look how the, the culture has changed. We're in the midst of a revolution. What are we going to do? This passage is about us looking at Jesus coming down to this earth, taking on the form of a slave and imitating it. That's what he's calling us to. Did you know that? As a believer in Christ, your calling is to imitate Christ. Hi there. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon, who takes us back to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, imitating the incarnation. That's the call. That's what we're looking at. Join us. Here's Pastor Chris in today's program. You know, we have built to this point in looking at uh, this call of the struggling church in Philippi that was struggling with um, priorities, but struggling with their mission and all sorts of external problems and internal problems. And now Paul moves us right to the heart of it um, in chapter 2 to look at uh, the humility of Jesus. So we're going to be reading these first 11 verses. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there we'll end today the reading of God's wonderful word. It was um, Charles Spurgeon who once said, don't go creeping into your subject, first to the ankles and then to the knees, and some, as some preachers do, but plunge into it at once over head and ears. That is the easy way to get the attention of the people. Don't spar at them, but hit out boldly straight from the shoulder. What he meant was stop with all the fluff. Get to the heart of the meaning of the text right away. Go after it. And that's what will help people uh, to understand exactly what's happening and will engage their minds. So I don't want to waste time doing that today. I don't want to fill this in. I want to jump right into this. It's really one of the most glorious texts in all of the Bible. Um, it is just a wonderful, wonderful passage to be able to preach. It's one of those passages that you, you fear that in preaching uh, you will do such a disservice because it's so, so glorious and magnificent that your words might take it down a notch from what it actually is saying. 
But here we are today after we're moving through this glorious book of Philippians so far about the pursuit and uh, the way that the Christian is to look at life. That's what we've been working through, haven't we? We have a whole different way of looking at the things that happen in this life. We have a whole different way of handling ourselves, at least we're called to, in the way and the things that come upon us. The church itself was facing external persecution and opposition, and they were falling apart internally because of it. And we've been able, what, what a book for the moment in our day. With all this external pressure, and everyone worried about the future, and everyone thinking about, is persecution coming for Christians? And, and look how the, the culture has changed. We're in the midst of a revolution. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? How are we going to make it in the midst of all of this? And Paul goes after this thought. It's the worry. It's the fret. It's the anxiety, which he's going to address in chapter 4. There's a reason he's saying don't be anxious for anything. All those things take us off mission. All those things um, move us away from the calling that the Lord has given us. And Philippians is helping us with this. Philippians is giving us such a perspective. And today, now he goes after the heart of it all. It really is the application to the gospel. That's really what this passage is. In fact, if you think I'm, I'm pressing that too far, I'm simply ripping off B.B. Warfield's titles. Titles are not really copyrighted. <laughs> Imitating the incarnation. That's B.B. Warfield who did that. This passage is about imitating the incarnation. This passage is about us looking at Jesus coming down to this earth, taking on the form of a slave, and imitating it. That's what he's calling us to. That's the main point Paul's after here. In fact, that's what drives this book, <laughs> is the heart of right here in chapter 2, to look at Jesus in the incarnation and then say, that's what the Christian life looks like. Well, we should know that. What is a Christian but a Christ follower? What is a Christian but somebody who's made back into his image? And that's what we're, we're looking at today, to have the call to have the same mind that Jesus had. A mind that is yours, says Paul. That's one of the gifts. A mind of Jesus. And that's what the Christian is. That's what we're called here to do, is to imitate Jesus. So we're going to be looking at this example of Christ uh, here. I'm going to start there today in this text. And then we're going to circle back to what Paul's doing with the application of it all and end on a great note of encouragement with the resurrection. So that's where I want to start. It's really to look at the example of Christ that is here. And again, when you talk about examples, we're not just talking about only uh, some kind of moral hero for us. We know when we're talking about examples that Jesus did the ultimate sacrifice to actually pay for sins. Nobody in following the example of Christ is paying for sins. So it's important to say that up front. But still, this is a very important passage to have us think about what the mind of Jesus looks like in us. That's what this is about. And it's really helping us because Paul is somewhat answering the question here that we've been wrestling with in the book of Philippians. How did Jesus look at things when he was on earth? How did he handle things when persecution came upon him? When governing authorities, that fox Herod, came at him? 
How did Jesus look at things? How did he handle the things that came upon him? And they say that this was, at least in many of the ancient writers, one of the ancient creedal hymns that was sung to keep this truth so powerful before them in the early church. And this is what really comes, and that's why the language here is somewhat interesting and complex. Um, it's not difficult to understand, but some of the translation nuances, it's, it can be difficult to sort of see exactly what is being said here. But I want you to notice this imperative that's given in verse 5. Notice verse 5 to begin with. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now that's an interesting way to say it. He calls us to have the mind that is actually the gift of, that is given to you of the mind of Jesus. This is your mind as a Christian. So you need to engage this. This is one of the gifts that God has given you as his child. This is a work of the Spirit in you. To have a certain kind of mind that is a gift from God. And you need to have it. You need to use it. <laughs> You need to embrace it. You need to love it. It's a beautiful message that's being given here. The words are somewhat challenging here in the, in the, in the original. Um, we have this word morphe. I don't typically use Greek words, but I want you to, to look carefully at the text as we work through this. Paul is here applying something in verse 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God... He's talking about a reality. So in other words, to say it very plainly, Paul is speaking of the being or the essence of God. Who knows what that is? We only can talk about that. The being or the essence, characterized in his holy attributes. Here, notice what he's saying. Whatever the being or the essence of God is, Jesus is. That's what he's saying. Jesus is. Many translations have correctly translated this, I believe. Jesus being in the very nature God. That's correct. Being in very nature, very essence, he is God. From here, he goes, and notice what he says. As true God, he possessed the fullness of the divine essence. He's God. That's what he's saying here. It's a really plain statement about his divinity. He had a divine nature from eternity. We don't compartmentalize in the Trinity. Jesus is truly God. Truly God. So notice how, how he begins to think and reason here to help us understand this. Being in very nature God, form, nature, he's talking about, now comes to the second part in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now that's not talking about us grasping anything. <laughs> you, have to, you have to listen to exactly what he's saying there. 
I, I always like to, um, because so many of you were raised on the King James and spent time in the King James and some of the older translations use robbery here. Um, it's interesting that robbery would come into this, or some, where some of the translations would say, did not account it to be robbery. But that's not quite correct either. What he means is this. When Jesus came to this earth, when Jesus assumed a human nature, he did not grasp or hold on to that equality with God selfishly for his own gain, apart from the divine will. He didn't grasp it that way when he walked on this earth. He didn't come down here and parade the fact that he is truly God in a way that would take him, the glory to him, away from the divine mission that he had to glorify his Father in the salvation of you. That's one of the reasons I think Jesus so seldomly, I mean, sometimes we come up and say, why didn't Jesus just openly say he's God? One of the great reasons I think is given right here. He said it to those, think about the, the, the needy and the humble and those who needed salvation. But notice that, that when Jesus was on earth, he wasn't out and about parading himself that way. He wasn't out and about showing off that way. Um, it's really kind of a, an amazing thing to, to think about. You know, Jesus didn't grasp that equality with God for his own advantage, is really what Paul's saying here. Even though he was in all of his eternal glory, robed in splendor and majesty, equal with God, he did not count that in the incarnation as something to be secured for his own benefit to lord it over everyone else. Wow. <laughs> you remember Jesus would say this to his disciples. Gentile lords and kings do that. That's what you expect. You expect power grabs from the government, don't you? That's what all the history of government is but it shall not be so among you. Why? Well, because Jesus, truly God, didn't come down here and do that among us. He had every right to do so. <laughs> he had every right. He's the maker through whom everything was made of heaven and earth. He came down here and look at the humble disposition he decided to take on. Who he is. Jesus was the eternal one clothed in the garments of majesty and splendor. The very one who is the brightness, Hebrews 1, of God's glory. Look at the pagan gods. What are they like? Look how they treat their subjects. Look how they demand allegiance blindly. Look how they're cruel and take. Paul wants us to think about this for a minute. Paul wants us to think about the state of humiliation, which is what we're looking at. Paul wants us to think about Jesus in the state of his humiliation and to ponder that the eternal Son of God, who was in all of his majesty and splendor and eternal glory, the one who always is, 
did not grasp that glory for his own advantage. But left that home, think of John 17, when he prayed, Father, glorify me now in the presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. But what did he do, verse 7, instead? What did he do? (laughs) He emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, he humbled, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the wicked, cursed, cruel death of the cross, says Paul. Emptied himself is not really a best translation either. He didn't empty himself of anything. (laughs) What it means is he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. He chose to make himself nothing in the incarnation. He poured himself out in the incarnation. How so? He made himself of no reputation. He literally took the form in a, choosing a, the human nature and a body, he took the form of a slave, a servant. And when he came in likeness of men, adding the human nature, how do you communicate this? Being equal with God, he didn't selfishly hold on to that for his own gain. He didn't come down here and pray the fact of how it's his own greatness and how wonderful and powerful he is in, in that state of humiliation. He made himself of no reputation among us and came in the likeness of human beings. Here we come to everything we and this is the heart of the Christian gospel, you know, truths that describe the ultimate sacrificial love for you. You know, how do you explain that the eternal Son of God, through whom everything was made, you know, when creation happened and God said, let there be, that was Jesus speaking. How do you explain who is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person made himself nothing because he loved you? Who wants to yawn through that? Who got out of bed sloppily this morning to come hear that? Peter fought him the whole way. Do you have a better picture in John 13 of what it looked like when they're at the table and they all walk in the room and there's a water basin in the back and they're all arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus stands up. And he walks down the long row of the table. Everyone had positioned themselves in the best seats. And he girds himself and he ties himself. And in front of them, transforms visually into a slave. That's what he did. And he grabbed the towel and the water basin. And he stooped down on his knees. Get up. Get up. Jesus, don't, you're too dignified to do this. If I don't do this, you're not entering glory. You have no possession in the kingdom. He transformed himself right there on earth to help us understand it. 
He became a slave. He became a servant. What a moment. The very gospel we treasure is the washing away of our sins by Jesus becoming this. And after you, you know, reading this in Philippians 2, you think the point might be driven home already. He, he then says this, and being found, verse 8, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Scarcely will a righteous man, you know, die for somebody. Any of you ever laid down your life for anyone? You wouldn't be here if you had. Isaiah 52 says something amazing. You know that when he was found in appearance as a man, and he decided to say, what kind of body is going to be prepared for me? And that eternal counsel, they must have discussed that, Father and the Son. Jesus selected a body that had no outward glory. I mean, this is what Isaiah is saying to us. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Imagine what you, you know, think about. How do you even start to ask the question, what would you pick? We all know. He had no appearance in the selection of a body that we said, wow, there's the son of God. He was an unattractive man on all accounts. We're so into good-looking people, put-together people. We all today want to come here and show everyone, look at me, I'm together. You're not together, you're hiding it. None of you are together. Nothing extraordinary about this one. Might I remind you that we live to show ourselves something, to make ourselves a name. This is our whole culture. This is our life. We're all trying to establish ourselves and make ourselves great. We've been trained. It's all about making something great again. Strive to be rich. Strive to be successful. Our outward glory is what we live for. We're functioning hedonists. And it's all about our happiness. And it's all about how we feel. That's what makes me so bothered about all the worship discussions today. It's incredibly selfish. It's all about you. It's all about our creaturely comforts. Can you be any more comforted to death in this life? Jesus made himself nothing to the degree that he took a form that in human eyes is nothing. Boy, that really does fly in the face of what we are taught and how we are led to believe in our current culture, doesn't it? Well, we'll have more as we continue our look at Philippians. Well, this is Abounding Grace Radio with Pastor Chris Gordon. Our hope and prayers you've been encouraged by today's program. If you would like to take advantage of many of the resources we have available on our website, might I suggest paying us a visit? agradio.org. Videos hosted by Pastor Chris, articles written by Pastor Chris, past radio programs are housed there as well. Again, agradio.org. Plus, it's a great place to give 
tax-deductible donations to the radio ministry, as it is through those donations that we're able to continue on this radio station. Again, agradio.org, or give us a call, 888-504-8805. Questions? Address them to questions at agradio.org. And don't forget, when you visit agradio.org, you'll find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts as well. Once again, here's Pastor Chris with a look ahead to tomorrow's program. Look like Jesus. Don't huddle up with all the people who affirm you. Go to the broken. Go to the weak. Go to the needy. Go to the educated and the non-educated. Esteem them better than you. That's the mind of Jesus. That's what he did in the incarnation. That's the most freeing life. You don't, you don't have to make yourself something. I think that's why we have a lot of depression right now on social media. Everyone thinks they have to solve everything. Everyone thinks they have to be something. You're free. You're released from that. You don't have to make things endlessly about you, your name, your greatness. You don't have to make a lot of money in life. You don't have to be fake. You don't have to come here dressed so nice to show that you're the together one. That's not what Christianity is about. You're not. I'm not. This is Christianity at its best. This is what's real. Set your minds to think and look like a servant like Jesus did. That's tomorrow as we continue our look at the book of Philippians here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Chris Gordon. Until then, God bless. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries. Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.